When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Law School of America. Product liability is the area of law in which manufacturers, distributors, suppliers, retailers, and others who make products available to the public are held responsible for the injuries those products cause. Although the word product has broad connotations, product liability as an area of law is traditionally limited to products in the form of tangible personal property. Product liability by country. The overwhelming majority of countries have strongly preferred to address product liability through legislative means. In most countries, this occurred either by enacting a separate Product Liability Act, adding product liability rules to an existing civil code, or including strict liability within a comprehensive Consumer Protection Act. In the United States, product liability law was developed primarily through case law from state courts as well as the restatements of the law produced by the American Law Institute, ALI. The United States and the European Union's product liability regimes are the two leading models for how to impose strict liability for defective products, meaning that virtually every product liability regime in the world follows one of these two models. United States. The United States was the birthplace of modern product liability law during the 20th century, due to the 1963 Greenman decision which led to the emergence of product liability as a distinct field of private law. In 1993, it was reported that no other country can match the United States for the number and diversity of its product liability cases, nor for the prominence of the subject in the eyes of the general public and legal practitioners. This was still true as of 2015. In the United States, product liability continues to play a big role. Litigation is much more frequent there than anywhere else in the world, awards are higher, and publicity is significant. In the United States, the majority of product liability laws are determined at the state level and vary widely from state to state. Each type of product liability claim requires proof of different elements in order to present a valid claim. History. For a variety of complex historical reasons beyond the scope of this article, personal injury lawsuits in tort for monetary damages were virtually non-existent before the second industrial revolution of the 19th century. As a subset of personal injury cases, product liability cases were extraordinarily rare, but it appears that in the few that were brought, the general rule at early common law was probably what modern observers would call no fault or strict liability. In other words, the plaintiff only needed to prove causation and damages. Common law courts began to shift towards a no-liability regime for products, except for cases of fraud or breach of express warranty, by developing the doctrine of caveat emptor, buyer beware, in the early 1600s. As personal injury and product liability claims began to slowly increase during the early first industrial revolution, due to increased mobility of both people and products, common law courts in both England and the United States in the 1840s erected further barriers to plaintiffs by requiring them to prove negligence on the part of the defendant, for example, that the defendant was at fault because its conduct had failed to meet the standard of care expected of a reasonable person, and to overcome the defense of lack of privity of contract in cases where the plaintiff had not dealt directly with the manufacturer, as exemplified by Winterbottom v. Wright, 1842. During the second industrial revolution of the mid to late 19th century, consumers increasingly became several steps removed from the original manufacturers of products and the unjust effects of all these doctrines became widely evident. State courts in the United States began to look for ways to ameliorate the harsh effects of such legal doctrines, as did the British Parliament. For example, 
one method was to find implied warranties implicit in the nature of certain contracts. By the end of the 19th century, enough U.S. states had adopted an implied warranty of merchantable quality that this warranty was restated in statutory form in the U.S. Uniform Sales Act of 1906, which drew inspiration from the British Sale of Goods Act 1893. During the 1940s, 1950s, and 1960s, American law professors Fleming James Jr. and William Prosser published competing visions for the future of the nascent field of product liability. James acknowledged that traditional negligence and warranty law were inadequate solutions for the problems presented by defective products, but argued in 1955 those issues could be resolved by a modification of warranty law tailored to meet modern needs, while Prosser argued in 1960 that strict liability and tort ought to be declared outright without an illusory contract mask. Ultimately, it was Prosser's view which prevailed. Landmark Legal Cases The first step towards modern product liability law occurred in the landmark New York case of McPherson v. Buick Motor Company, 1916, which demolished the privity bar to recovery in negligence actions. By 1955, James was citing McPherson to argue that the citadel of privity has crumbled, although Maine, the last holdout, would not adopt McPherson until 1982. The second step was the landmark New Jersey case of Henningsen v. Bloomfield Motors Incorporated, 1960, which demolished the privity bar to recovery in actions for breach of implied warranty. Prosser cited Henningsen in 1960 as the fall of the citadel of privity. The Henningsen court helped articulate the rationale for the imminent shift from breach of warranty, sounding in contract, to strict liability, sounding in tort, as the dominant theory in product liability cases, but did not actually impose strict liability for defective products. The third step was the landmark California case of Greenman v. Yuba Power Products Incorporated, 1963, in which the Supreme Court of California openly articulated and adopted the doctrine of strict liability and tort for defective products. Greenman heralded a fundamental shift in how Americans thought about product liability towards a theory of enterprise liability, instead of basing liability on the defendant's fault or warranty, the defendant's liability should be predicated, as a matter of public policy, on the simple question of whether it was part of a business enterprise responsible for inflicting injuries on human beings. The theoretical foundation for enterprise liability had been laid by James as well as another law professor, Leon Green. As noted above, it was Greenman which led to the actual emergence of product liability as a distinct field of private law in its own right. Before this point, products had appeared in case law and scholarly literature only in connection with the application of existing doctrines in contract and tort. The Greenman majority opinion was authored by then-Associate Justice Roger J. Trainer, who cited his own earlier concurring opinion in Escala v. Coca-Cola Bottling Company, 1944. In Escala, now also widely recognized as a landmark case, Justice Trainer laid the foundation for Greenman with these words. Even if there is no negligence, however, public policy demands that responsibility be fixed wherever it will most effectively reduce the hazards to life and health inherent in defective products that reach the market. It is evident that the manufacturer can anticipate some hazards and guard against the recurrence of others, as the public cannot. Those who suffer injury from defective products are unprepared to meet its consequences. The cost of an injury and the loss of time or health may be an overwhelming misfortune to the person injured, and a needless one, for the risk of injury can be insured by the manufacturer and distributed among the public as a cost of doing business. It is to the public interest to discourage the marketing of products having defects that are a menace to the public. If such products nevertheless find their way into the market it is to the public interest to place the responsibility for whatever injury they may cause upon the manufacturer, who, even if he is not negligent in the manufacture of the product, is responsible for its reaching the market. However intermittently such injuries may occur and however haphazardly they may strike, the risk of their occurrence is a constant risk and a general one. 
Against such a risk there should be general and constant protection and the manufacturer is best situated to afford such protection. Trainer's argument for imposing strict liability in Escala has had an enormous impact on the way legal scholars have understood products liability and tort law more generally. The year after Greenman, the Supreme Court of California proceeded to extend strict liability to all parties involved in the manufacturing, distribution, and sale of defective products, including retailers. In 1969, the court then held that such defendants were liable not only to direct customers and users, but also to any innocent bystanders randomly injured by defective products. Nationwide adoption of product liability. In turn, Prosser was able to propagate the Greenman holding to a nationwide audience because the American Law Institute had appointed him as the official reporter of the restatement of torts, second. The Institute approved the restatement's final draft in 1964 and published it in 1965. The restatement codified the Greenman doctrine in Section 402A. Greenman and Section 402A spread like wildfire across America. The highest courts of nearly all U.S. states and territories, and a few state legislatures, embraced this bold new doctrine during the late 1960s and 1970s. As of 2018, the five exceptions who have rejected strict liability are Delaware, Massachusetts, Michigan, North Carolina, and Virginia. In four of those states, warranty law has been so broadly construed in favor of plaintiffs that only North Carolina truly lacks anything resembling strict liability and tort for defective products. North Carolina's judiciary never attempted to adopt the doctrine, and the state legislature enacted a statute expressly banning strict liability for defective products in 1995. In a landmark 1986 decision, the U.S. Supreme Court also embraced strict liability for defective products by adopting it as part of federal admiralty law. Factors behind nationwide adoption. In the conventional narrative, there are two main factors that explain the rapid embrace of Greenman and Section 402A. First, they came along just as Americans were coalescing around a consensus in favor of consumer protection, which would eventually cause Congress to enact several landmark federal product safety and vehicle safety statutes. Between 1960 and 1977, Congress passed at least 42 laws dealing with consumer and worker safety. Second, American academic experts in the field of law and economics developed new theories that helped to justify strict liability, such as those articulated by Guido Calabresi in The Costs of Accidents, 1970. To this, Kyle Graham adds three more factors. 3. The rise of attorneys specializing exclusively in plaintiffs' personal injury cases and their professional associations like the organization now known as the American Association for Justice. 4. The ubiquity of so-called bottle cases, personal injury cases arising from broken glass bottles. Before aluminum cans and plastic bottles displaced glass bottles as the primary beverage container during the 1970s. And, 5. The resistance of the Uniform Commercial Code's editorial board to extending warranties to bystander victims before 1966, in states whose legislatures had not already acted, state courts were more receptive to extending the common law to grant bystanders a strict liability tort claim. Prosser inexplicably imposed in Section 402A a requirement that a product defect must be unreasonably dangerous. Since the unreasonably dangerous qualifier implicitly connotes some sense of the idea of fault which Trainer was trying to exercise from product liability, it was subsequently rejected as incompatible with strict liability for defective products by Alaska, California, Georgia, New Jersey, New York, Puerto Rico, and West Virginia. The Mass Tort Product Liability Explosion Early proponents of strict liability believed its economic impact would be minor because they were focused on manufacturing defects. They failed to foresee the logical implications of applying the rule to other types of product defects. 
Only in the late 1960s did Americans begin to draw a clear analytical distinction between manufacturing and design defects, and since the early 1980s, defective design claims have formed the overwhelming bulk of American product liability lawsuits. It was the unintended application of 402A to the design context which resulted in the explosion of mass tort product liability cases during the 1980s throughout the United States. In the federal judicial system, the number of product liability civil actions filed per year increased from 2,393 in 1975 to 13,408 in 1989, and product liability's percentage of all federal civil cases increased from 2.0% to 5.7% during the same period. These numbers reflect only a small portion of the 1980s explosion in product liability cases. The vast majority of American lawsuits are heard in state courts and not federal courts. In subsequent decades, American federal judges began to heavily rely upon the multidistrict litigation, MDL, statute to manage an ever-increasing number of complex civil cases. For the first time, by the end of 2018 more than half, 51.9%, of all pending American federal civil cases had been centralized into MDLs, with 156,511 cases in 248 MDLs out of a total of 301,766 civil cases. Product liability was the dominant category both in terms of percentage of total active MDLs, 32.9%, and percentage of total civil cases centralized into MDLs, 91%. Among the factors which led to the large numbers of product liability cases seen today in the United States are relatively low fees for filing lawsuits, the availability of class actions, the strongest right to a jury trial in the world, the highest awards of monetary damages in the world, frequently in the millions of dollars for pain and suffering non-economic damages and in rare cases soaring into the billions for punitive damages, and the most extensive right to discovery in the world. No other country has adopted the U.S. standard of disclosure of information that is reasonably calculated to lead to the discovery of admissible evidence. American reported cases are replete with plaintiffs whose counsel artfully exploited this standard to obtain so-called smoking gun evidence of product defects and made defendants pay a tremendous price for their callous disregard for product safety. Tort reform and the neoconservative reaction. In response to these developments, a tort reform movement appeared in the 1980s which persuaded many state legislatures to enact various limitations like damage caps and statutes of repose. However, the majority of states left untouched the basic rule of strict liability for defective products, and all efforts at the federal level to enact a uniform federal product liability regime were unsuccessful. From the mid-1960s onward, state courts struggled for over four decades to develop a coherent test for design defects, either phrased in terms of consumer expectations or whether risks outweigh benefits or both, for example, a hybrid test in which the first does not apply to defects that are too complex. Risk-benefit analysis, of course, can be seen as a way of measuring the reasonableness of the defendant's conduct, or in other words, negligence. A neoconservative turn among many American courts and tort scholars during the 1980s led to a recognition that liability in design defect and failure to warn cases had never been entirely strict, or had been operating in some respects as a de facto fault-based regime all along, and the American Law Institute expressly backed a return to tests associated with negligence for design and warning defects with the 1998 publication of the Restatement of Torts, 3rd products liability. This attempt to resurrect negligence and to limit strict liability to its original home in manufacturing defects has been highly controversial among courts and scholars. In arguing in 2018 that U.S. product liability law as restated in 1998 had come full circle back to where it started in 1964, two law professors also conceded that some courts continue to tenaciously cling to the rationale and doctrine of 402A. The Law School of America 
The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution, Share Alike License. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America